All right, if you brought your Bibles, would you turn with me? And we're going to go ahead and read through the section together. We are at Romans 7, 14. I'll just read it through to the end if you just want to follow along with me. And listen and tell me at the end if you don't think this sounds like a different Paul than who we've been hearing from thus far. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do... I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law... That evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin. Except for that very last section where he's thanking God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Doesn't it almost sound like a completely different Paul in this section? And so um, we'll get into some of what I discovered about this section. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together as women today. Thank you for the safe travels and the sunny day you gave us. Thank you for this side of Paul that we're going to um, get to look at today and touch base with and maybe connect with a little bit this morning, Father God. So I just pray, Lord, you fill me with your spirit, Lord, that I can say the things you want me to say, God, and we can hear what you want us to hear this morning, Lord. So I just commit this time of studying your word to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Years ago, some of you have been here a long time, like I have been, we had a pastor that would teach on occasion. He was an assistant pastor here. His name was Pastor Harry, and he was amazing, and I love Pastor Harry. And one Sunday, he taught about being an Eeyore Christian, how we're always down, and we're talking about our troubles, and we're moaning and groaning. And it almost seems like that's where Paul is this morning. He's just really down in the dumps, and he's moaning a little bit. And so it just reminded me of that section. But yet, this is the same Paul who beforehand was not, was not that way, was not the Eeyore Christian. So to me, we can see that that's not typical Paul. There are people that are stuck in that Eeyore Christian life. That's always where they're at. That's always the tape that they're playing. But that's not the Paul that we see. This is just a little glimpse, I think, that the Lord has allowed us. This is the same Paul that in Romans 6, 6, that our old man was crucified. I'm going to read that real quick to remind us. The same Paul that told us just weeks ago 
knowing that the, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Going on to eight, six, eight. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. So it's just this total contrast of who he was in weeks before. And I wanted to read who he is in, in Hebrews, that same Paul. Hold on. Of course, my phone won't click for me now that I want it. I was going to read Hebrews. Let me see if I can just get to it real quick. 12, 1. Another glimpse of our, our normal everyday Paul. 12, 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our normal Paul. That's the Paul that we know. So this week, we're kind of visiting a different Paul, and it makes us go, hmm. And as I was studying I came to understand that there's actually a little bit of controversy over this particular section of Romans. Some say that Paul isn't really talking about himself at all, that he's actually talking about people that are unsaved. And then others say that Paul's talking about himself before he was saved. And then there are others that say, no, this is just another glimpse of Paul. And that's kind of where I want to take this message today, because I think we all have moments In this section, we're hearing Paul groaning. He's groaning over his sin. And I think we all need to have those moments of groaning over our sin. And so I'm thankful that Paul showed us this side of himself today. All right, so I'm going to go back to our our study, Romans chapter 7, 14, the very first verse. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. As looking through a John Corson's commentary on this section, and he explained that there are basically three types of people, as taught in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. Um, the natural man is what we all were before we were saved. The spiritual man, or woman, is the one who is saved and who walks in the spirit. And then there's the carnal, I'll just say woman, the carnal woman who's born again but lives in the energy of her flesh. Therefore, although the carnal woman can appear to be saintly and righteous, she is miserable internally because she knows she can't live up to the rules, regulations, and expectations that she places on herself. That happens to be, I believe, where Paul is in this section. Yes, he's converted, but he was miserable in his carnality, as we should be when we have these moments. Um, Verse 15 for I, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Um, Paul's problem isn't desire. He wants to do what's right. Oftentimes, we want to do what's right. Um, his problem is lack of power, how to perform what is good. He's not finding He's lacking power because he was, in this moment, living under the law, and he could not do what he needed to do. The law gives no power. The law says, here are the rules, and you'd better keep them, but it gives us no power. 
Can anybody relate here? Here we are in the third week of January. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Anybody? No? Okay, how many of those resolutions, I'll just be real here, involve something you want to do every day? Like, I want to read my Bible every day. I want to sit at Jesus' feet every day. I want to pray to Jesus every day. I want to be sweet to my husband every day. I want to be a patient mom every day. Okay, so those are a few of mine, okay? Um, How many have already fallen short of this goal? Yeah, yeah, all right. Um, Maybe you're already thinking of just giving up this whole goal-making thing. Yeah, some people just don't even start. They just know, I can't do that thing, so they just don't even start. That's what came to mind as I was thinking about how we just, we don't always have the power to keep up with those good things that we want to do. Um, I read a devotional in my new one-year Bible plan on New Year's Day. How many of you guys start brand new one-year Bible plans on New Year's Day? Am I the only one? No, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Okay, so I wonder how many, as I was reading it, I wonder how many times I've read Genesis 1 through 10. (laughs) But I can rarely say that I get farther than Genesis in that reading plan. Um, Anyway, so back to this devotional that I read while walking on the treadmill on New Year's Day, okay? It stated that the author belonged to a gym, and at this gym, every year on January 1st, they bring in extra equipment because the place is going to be packed out, you know. But by January 7th, January 7th, a week later, they actually have to move out all the extra equipment because the people have already given up their New Year's resolutions. And as I read that, I was shocked at how quickly people give up. I was like, wow, I'm sure I'm going to stay on track. Longer than that, anyways. And I proudly did that first year, that first week of this year. Like, I checked off several boxes. But then the second week came, and that had snow in it, and my hubby had days off, and things just got thrown off. And, you know, life just happens. My good intentions go south pretty quickly. Like, when I plan to get up early with, to spend time with Jesus, you probably find this with little ones. It, it seemed like when my kids were little, no matter how early I planned to get up, they got up that early too. It just didn't matter. And there were seasons I just gave up. No, I'm just going to sleep in bed. I can pray and talk to you right here in my comfy covers because if I get out, they're following me. But even now, even now, I'm like, I just want to get up and go to my table and drink some tea and have time with the Lord. And so I get up. Only the beagle hears me. We have a beagle puppy. So the beagle hears me, and I have to hurry and get her outside so she doesn't go potty inside, okay? Now, while she's outside, I realize that my older dog has already gone potty all over the kitchen. So now I've got to clean that up. And then the beagle, who's outside going potty, starts howling. So I have to run back over there to bring in the beagle before the beagle wakes up the neighbors. And then, of course, that howling now woke up Connie, who wakes up, and she's starving. Starving! We don't even know what it's like to starve in this country, but she's starving. And so I have to quickly feed her something from the freezer and then tell her, go lay quietly so mommy can have some quiet time, okay? I want to spend time with Jesus. And then the dogs are fighting, and then they spill their water everywhere, and so now I'm cleaning that up. You get my drift. Our good intentions can just get derailed so quickly with the demands of this life. And it's not even to mention the intentions of the enemy, that decide, you know, he tries his hardest to sidetrack us with distractions of our eyes and our flesh, and so we have to contend with all of that. How about a few what I am doing I do not understand? Um, let me go back to that, where Paul is, let's see. For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do 
that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. It just made me think about sometimes in my life as a woman of God, maybe I'm just causing a senseless fight with my husband and I don't even know why. Um, and then he has to leave for work, and then I feel terrible, like, oh, gosh, what did I do? I hate that I did that. It wasn't my intention. Um, or you say something that maybe you've been feeling, you know, to a sister or a friend that just really needed to hear that. But then after you say it, you just feel terrible, and that wasn't your intention. You wish you'd said it with more tenderness, or you wish you hadn't nagged any, that person again, or maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an addiction that you haven't been able to gain power over that you kind of related to in this lesson. You can't understand that stronghold in your life. That's something that you hate, and that is something that, yes, you've once again partaken of. So I think we can all kind of relate to this ah, groaning that Paul's going through. Let's look at a few more verses. Chapter 7, verse 16 through 18. It's very repetitive in here. Maybe I already read through this. I just kept going earlier. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Okay, so Paul is saying, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Is Paul denying his responsibility as a sinner here? No. He recognizes that as he sins, he acts against his nature as a new man in Jesus Christ. As a Christian, we need to own up to our sin, and we need to realize that the impulse to sin does not come from who we really are in Jesus Christ. Um, It was said by a man named West, to be saved from sin, a man must at the same time own it and disown it. It is this practical paradox which is reflected in this verse. A true saint may say it in a moment of passion, but a sinner had better not make it a principle. As I studied last week, I think I I told you already that some say this can't be Paul um, because Paul said that sin has died. It no longer is our master. We've been set free. And in chapter 8, we're going to read in verse 9 next week that we are not in the flesh but in the spirit. How then can this be talking about Paul, who's now a born-again Christian? He must be talking about someone who's not yet saved. But yet I believe either way, we need to read it with a heart asking as we read it, what does this say to me, Lord? What can I learn from this about me? We discussed a few ways we regularly feel some of the things that Paul is sharing or some of the ways I was relating to him this week. Um, I believe that Paul is actually sharing with us the reality and humanity of living out our faith, waiting on our Savior. There are going to be moments of victory, and there are going to be moments of wailing. I heard another pastor, John Piper, this week call this section of Scripture the moaning of Paul. He said we should all have moments of moaning over our sin. It is this moaning that actually keeps us humble. If we don't regularly have moments of moaning, where we recognize our own sinfulness before a perfect and holy God, then we can become hypercritical of others. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Do you ever find yourself saying, oh, why does she dress that way? Or why do they let their children behave that way? Or why does she speak to her husband that way? Or whatever, those things. I can become wretched Rodman really quick if I just think I have it all together. It is the humbling moments of God that make me realize I'm nothing, nothing good except 
the good that's in me from Christ Jesus. In myself, I'm wretched, just like Paul's going to say he is. That critical spirit, years ago I actually was dating a person, and this person, that guy I was dating, was always critical. And then I became critical. It actually made me feel ill. Like I, It just made me feel ill. It doesn't feel good to be critical like that. I'm so thankful for the work of the Lord that comes in now and humbles me to stop that critical spirit. I don't want to look at people that way, and I surely, surely don't want them to look at me with those eyes either. I'm going to share just a silly story of one day that God just totally humbled me. It has nothing really to do with Paul, but it was just a super humbling moment in my life. Um, I was baking some cookies for my children. I had bought them. A, I had bought a bag of M&Ms, and on the back it had a recipe for some cookies with M&Ms. And I thought, oh my goodness, my kids will get so excited if I surprise them with the cookies with M&Ms because I don't do cookies too often. It's sugary, and they don't need that stuff. But I was going to do it. And I had just come back from Costco, so I had lots of ingredients. So I thought, well, I have enough M&Ms. I'm going to make a triple batch. I am going to be the bomb mom that stays home and makes cookies for her kids, and they're going to love me. So I had this little thing going in my head. I was great, okay? <laughs> but the Lord totally humbled me. So as I'm putting the ingredients in, at that time I um, was, uh, what do you call it when you're saving the food? Composting. I was composting. So I took the eggshells after I dumped them in, and I rinsed them, and then I crunched them, and I meant to throw them in my compost bowl. But later, when I went to, I was like, why do I only have one egg in the compost bowl, and the recipe called for three eggs? Where did the other eggs go? And I quickly realized that I accidentally, in my stupidness, just crunched the eggs and threw them in the bowl of cookies, okay? (laughs) So I didn't ruin just one batch. I ruined like a triple batch. That was a lot of stuff to throw away. You know, butter is so expensive. So then I'm left with the dilemma of what do I do now? Do I do I just try to take all the eggs out? So yeah, I try to take all the eggs out. And I'm thinking, well, maybe the M&Ms in there will like hide the crunch, you know? <laughs> so I decided to at least make one batch, you know, and, and, and try it. And I the kids were so sad. They're like, please, can we just have one cookie? So I went from thinking I was like this great person, and I wasn't, to this like, oh, I'm just wretched. I'm just, I just suck. I can't even make cookies. So that was just one of those moments. God often does that to me. And we don't always see that he's doing a work in us. But that day I saw he was doing a work in me. And I was so humbled and thankful. And so I hope that as we now with open eyes, we'll see those things happen and be thankful. God is doing a work in us that needs to be done. All right, let's keep reading. Um, where am I now? Let's see, verse, did I skip over 21? Cause I, uh, okay. Um, I think I'm just kind of out of order here, so bear with me, ladies. Okay. Um, Okay, verse 21 is where I show next. I think I had read through 20, so I'm on 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God. Oh, no, we're going to stop right there. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. This reminds me of an issue that came up with my children last week. As I'd kind of been studying, my mind's open to some visuals to be sharing with you guys. Um, Connie and Andrew were fighting over something. I don't even remember what it was. I just remember I went over to her, and I'm trying to explain, you know, what was wrong and why we don't do that. And her words were, 
I know how I should treat my brother, and I want to do good, but sometimes it's just hard to be good. And it just, I was like, oh yeah, she's feeling this. Yeah, we don't always do that good that we want to do. You know, we're at war with our members here. And I just couldn't help but smile as I'd been reading it and asking the Lord to give me some visuals for you guys. So as we all know, it is hard to be good. Sometimes we know the right we ought to do, and we just can't get it to the finish line. C.S. Lewis says, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. So it just reminded me of my little Connie. She tries, but it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Sometimes. 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. I was reading a David Guzik commentary, and he explained it like this. Paul knows that his real, his inward man, has a delight in the law of God. He understands that the impulse to sin comes from another law in his members. Paul knows that the real self is the one who does delight in the law of God. The old man is not the real Paul. The old man is dead. The flesh is not the real Paul. The flesh is destined to pass away and be resurrected. The new man is the real Paul. And now Paul's challenge is to live like God has made him. And, and again, we can relate to this. I desire to delight in the law of God, to walk in his ways and spend time with him. Yet I'm at war with my members. My mind wants to do good and get up and work on my Bible study. But especially now when it's 29 degrees outside, my body wants to stay in bed where it's warm for just a little bit longer. Then I get so distracted when I do get downstairs because there's a whole big pile of dishes that I need to do. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do dishes, and I'm going to do Bible study. I'm going to do Bible study, and I'm going to do dishes. I don't even know. It can become a battle. And then even in prayer time, can't our minds wander? Can our minds wander? Our tummy grumbles. We find our legs moving to the refrigerator to get a little snack so that it won't be grumbling while we're spending time with Jesus. Um, yeah, I, I just I look in there for something to feed my flesh for a few minutes before I go feed my spirit. I, I want to stick to a budget that honors God and my husband's paycheck, but then my eyes go lusting after that pretty thing that's on the magazine that just came in the mail and that's sitting on the table and I'm finding myself struggling there. Or I find myself throwing out food in the refrigerator because it went bad because I haven't been faithful to plan our meals using up what was fresh first. Um, Yeah, I want to plan meals, but my flesh wants to read another chapter of a book instead of writing out my menu for the week. Or maybe it wants to scroll through Pinterest a little bit longer, and then before you know it, it's half an hour to dinner time, and I don't know what to make for dinner. So we're eating junk again, and that's not my goal. My goal is to eat healthy meals for my family. So, yeah, anyone else struggle with members of your body warring against your, the law of your mind? Yeah. Verse 24, O wretched woman that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The entire tone of the statement shows that Paul is desperate for deliverance. He's overwhelmed with the sense of his own powerlessness and sinfulness, and we need to come to the same place of desperation to find victory. Your desire needs to go beyond a vague hope to be better. You must cry out against yourself sometimes and cry out unto God with the same desperation that we hear Paul crying out this week. Who will deliver me? Who? He doesn't say what. Sometimes we want what, that thing, that thing that's going to deliver us. But Paul knows it's actually who. 
Paul's perspective finally turns to something, actually turns to someone, actually, outside of himself. He's referred to himself over 30 times since the beginning of this Romans 13 and following through. Over 30 times he's talking about I, 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 I. But he realizes in his flesh he can't deliver himself. In the pit of Paul's unsuccessful struggle against sin, he became entirely self-focused and self-obsessed. This is the place of any believer living under the law who looks to self and personal performance rather than looking first to Jesus. The words, who will deliver me, show that Paul's given up on himself and he's asking who instead of how. When Paul describes this body of death, some commentators see a reference to ancient kings who tormented their prisoners by shackling them to decomposing corpses. Paul longs to be cut free from the wretched body of death clinging to him. Here's a little tidbit from Spurgeon talking about that practice of that body of death. It was the custom of ancient tyrants when they finished, or I'm sorry, when they wished to put men to the most fearful punishments to tie a dead body to them, placing the two back to back. And there was the living man with a dead body closely strapped to him, rotting, putrid, corrupting, and this he must drag with him wherever he went. Now this is just what the Christian has to do. He has within him the new life, which has a living and undying principle, which the Holy Spirit has put within him. But he feels that every day he has to drag about with him his dead body, this body of death, a thing as loathsome, as hideous, as abominable to his new life as a dead, stinking carcass would be to a living man. I was just like, oh. I just love that visual of that old man. We don't want to be dragging that old man. That, would be, that could be heavy and stinky and ugh. So I'm glad we don't have to do that. Paul's now going to bring us full circle in the closing of chapter 7. We've gone through the groaning with Paul, and we're going to go through our own groaning in this life as the Lord takes us through trials or does pruning here and there in our lives. But Paul closes with the answer in verse 25. Let me get there. In verse 25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he stops groaning and he starts thanking. And that's just what we need to do in the middle of our trials. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just decides, I'm going to praise Jesus. And isn't that when things start to turn around? Do you ever just have a really bad day and you're like, I didn't put on music. Like, enemy, get out of here. And that's what I will do. I'll just go and I'll turn on the music and I'll turn on loud because I feel like there's just a whirlwind of yuck going on here. We just need to praise Jesus. And I feel like that can just change our whole perspective. And I think that's what Paul did here is just got back to praising Jesus. That would have been good, Paul. Let's just end it right there. Let's just end it right there with praising Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is our deliverance out of our groaning. Anytime we try to meet God's expectations or even our own expectations in our flesh, we will fail. We will disappoint. It is only through the saving grace and strength of Christ and his gift to us of the Holy Spirit that we can gain any victory over the hurdles of this life. And why do you think that is? I think that's so that we don't boast of ourselves. Anything good in me is from Christ. In and of myself, I'm just a wretched body of death destined for eternal damnation. I will fail again and again to meet God's expectations and my own. But living out this life in constant communion with Christ, who's our sense, 
He's our source of victory. He left us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we might be victorious in this life with him. There are those moments that we don't take our thoughts captive to the obedience of the flesh, like our memory verse told us to do this week. There are those moments we tend to just pop off in anger or frustration. And it should be the desire of believers to attempt to plug into this mighty source of strength, this weapon of warfare available to us to pull down strongholds, to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I'm just going to read that memory verse to you guys because I thought it was awesome. It's a favorite. I don't, I'm not good with memory verses, so I really would love to commit it. But 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 was our verse this week. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's, that's not difficult, you guys. It's available for all of us. We can do this through prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to fight our battles with us. It's not a difficult, hard-to-obtain secret weapon available only to a special few that go through the battles of Mordor like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings. Thankfully, it's not a secret weapon we need. We, ha- we all have it. It's the Holy Spirit. Prayer is available to all believers. It simply requires us to humbly sit at the feet of our Savior and pour out our hearts to him. When we ask him to go before us in our day, in our trials, in our victories, in our struggles, we then have available to us the strength from on high. Do you guys ever notice when you start your day with prayer and ask the Lord to go before you, it's a completely different day? Uh, Yeah, sometimes I'm like, what's going on today? I didn't have my Jesus time. And so we need to remember that. He's our strength. So that wasn't where Paul ended it, though. Paul goes to end this chapter, uh, one more line, with verse 26. He says, So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And I asked myself, why did Paul do this? Why did he kind of end it back down there on the uh, fighting the flesh again? I believe it may be because this is the reality of life. The ebb and flow of our life has victory and struggle, and Paul is showing that in this chapter. Yes, we desire to serve the law of God, but that desire, our heart's desire, is trapped inside this body of flesh that each one of us carries around until Jesus comes to take us home. I myself appreciate the raw struggle that Paul shared with us this week. Sometimes it's hard to relate to that person who has it all together, who never struggles, who never sins, who never eats too much chocolate or loses her patience, who never raises her voice or says no to ministry opportunities. I appreciate so much more when I'm brought in close enough in friendship to see that maybe my friend has places in her life that's challenging for her, where there's dirt under the rug and under the shelves, where I can see that she's just like me. I can now relate to her and appreciate her strengths even more and pray for her struggles and ask her to pray for mine. Some might use this chapter of Romans as an excuse for poor behavior, but I think that would be wrong. This is such a small portion of the entirety of Scripture. To stay in this place of struggle would be to overlook every other verse that we have thus far discussed, studying the victory that we all have in Christ. The overall theme of Romans is that all have fallen short of the glory of God and are therefore under the wrath of God. Yet through the gift of his son and the work of the cross, we've been made clean again by faith in Christ. It's been said that salvation is the work of a moment, but sanctification the work of a lifetime. We need to continuously choose how we will deal with the hardships of this life, to reach out to Christ to help us win the battles, 
Rather than view this chapter as an escape clause, we ought to live with a drive to please God with our lives in constant thankfulness to Jesus Christ. Next week in chapter 8, we will once again see the victorious and encouraging Paul who greets us with another well-known verse. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. That's what's coming. That's, that's, you know, it's a bigger picture than what we looked at this week. But I appreciate the real and raw side of life that Paul showed us, and perhaps we can show one another today as we break into our small groups. So let's go ahead and pray. Actually, worship time, and then we pray before we go into our small groups. Okay, ready for our, worship, our last song, Richard?